Welcome to the Interns Hope Church Run the Podcast. I'm Jesse Brumfield. And I'm Isaac Little. We are two Americans living on mission in Wales. And we're uh, both inviting you guys to uh, walk with us as we talk about what it is and what it looks like to be life on mission in another country. So we're back for part two. We left off with um, the part one episode. Lizzie, you shared lots about your um, time working in Greece at a refugee camp there. And so we heard about that. And then we left off, I think you were just transitioning into how that left you wanting to work with refugees in the UK. So can you speak a little bit more about that transition? Yeah, absolutely. Um, While I was in in Greece, initially I thought, oh my goodness, I think I want to work here long term because just the need was so great. But as I stayed there for longer, I think another thing that broke my heart, which I can't remember if I mentioned or not, was not only the conditions that there were in the camp, but just knowing that so many of the people there, oh, if you heard a bang, do you hear a bang? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but anyway, um, <laughs> knowing that people there were just hoping for a place of safety, um, hoping that they, after they leave the camp, they would reach a country which would welcome them, which were where they would be able to work, to study, to basically build a life where they are safe and yeah, away from bombs falling and and whatever. And because most of the people that Europe has a kind of reputation for a lot of people for being kind of humanitarian, for being abiding by human rights, treating people Mm -hmm. well. And so that's often, that's why a lot of people will try and come to Europe is sometimes it will be because for jobs, they are better paid than others. Um, But like the many people that what they work is they earn barely enough to live on. And so I think that's something that we need to keep in mind when when we, I'm kind of, this is a tangent, but when we use the term economic migrant, when people come here to get jobs and people are often kind of vilified for that being a reason to come here or come to Europe, let's just remember that we have really good rights around employment, that we, we you know, <laughs> Some, I mean, even even here, like low wages sometimes are too low for people to really live on. But in other countries, you know, it's pittance, absolute pittance. People cannot support their families, cannot um, cannot live a life really. Um, so yeah, yeah let's keep like, it in mind that they're also working and can be working in horrific conditions. Oh, absolutely, they are working really long hours to make that tiny amount. Yeah, um, but barely. I think quite forcibly as well. I think the the line between sort of paid work and, and slave labor is actually quite fine. Um, we think it's quite quite obviously defined, but actually if someone is is barely earning enough to live on, then when does that actually become slave labor when they're in conditions where they they can't leave um, because they have nothing to go to? But, you know, in uh, we would look at them and say, oh, you've got a choice, you can go. But like, the reality is they, have, they haven't really got a choice. There's nothing for them to go to. So they have to stay in those situations. And often the only way out looks like going to another country, going somewhere where um, it's known to have those, those rights, those humanitarian rights and employers' rights and, and whatever. So yeah, that's yeah, definitely a tangent, but 
those are those are the kind of I guess assumptions and in a lot of the cases correct assumptions about Europe that people have as they are fleeing war fleeing horrific situations but the thing that broke my heart was knowing that even though most asylum seekers and refugees will get some form of shelter will get some form of support when they come here and either attitudes towards them definitely not across the board but are kind of often portrayed by the media as being really really negative and that's just not not just the case in the UK but pretty much everywhere and anywhere that um, refugees asylum seekers migrants they're all kind of generally bunched together as yeah. one one group which is crazy because they are <laughs> refugees and migrants can come from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. I mean, if you apply for a, asylum in the U, in in the UK then generally you, you won't be from a, a European country or a country that's within the EU. Um, but, um, but yeah, most countries in the, in the world, if you leave because of persecution and apply for asylum um, in another country, then you're an asylum seeker. Yeah. And so, so um, I find it really crazy that, um, yeah, that refugees are kind of bunched into this one people group when they're so diverse from many different backgrounds and um, different levels of education, some very rich, some very poor, some highly educated, some not. You know, it's completely com- the whole range. So, yeah, I, I just, it really broke my heart just knowing that the opinions about refugees were really bad and that support for refugees just wasn't just is not great and and that the system here as it as is similar to other places is really pretty harsh and although in some ways it's a lot better than Greece the underlying opinions aren't that different and I think you can see that in in the way that systems work because I think in the UK, we're pretty good at making things sound good or look nice and actually underlying there's a sort of darker side to things. You know, we're known for being polite. And I think it's very easy to kind of using polite words and nice words to to the public display something which actually underlying is something quite ugly and I think I believe that this is an area where that is the case um, and the way that things are portrayed in the media is just not a reflection of the truth a lot of the time obviously the media is a huge spectrum of views but um, a lot of the mainstream media is pretty bad but I don't say bad I shouldn't say that but <laughs> negative with regards to um, this issue so I just you know give like a couple of examples and this kind of leads on to talking a bit broader about racism because I think that ultimately these attitudes come out of a systemic deep-rooted racism which I think might put some people's backs up me saying that but I'll just give some examples it when asylum seekers come they they will automatically be put on something called immigration bail which gives the um, kind of the idea that they are criminals. Similarly in, to, to Greece, you know, the, the whole, the, the, everything about it felt like 
they're being they're being treated as prisoners when their only crime was running away from a, a dangerous situation. Um, so they they come here and they're put on immigration bail, which means that they have to sign in. Um, every once in a while, so it could be once a week, it could be once every couple of weeks, once a month, it depends on their situation or where they're from. Um, and the reason why it's called immigration bail is because actually they should technically all be in detention because they are here, um, they have come most of the time via illegal illegal routes. They don't have, um, they, you are, they are allowed to claim asylum. Once they've claimed asylum, then they are legally here until there's a decision has been made. Um, but technically, they should be in, in detention, but there is not enough room in detention centres. Um, so they're put on what they call immigration bail. So they are kind of allowed out, as it were, um, but have to sign in to either an immigration centre or, or I think sometimes it's a police station. But they are... Dep- not all, but it depends on their situation again, at risk of being detained pretty much at any point. Some countries are kind of low on the list of, I can't remember what it's called, but basically if a country is known to be not, for not many asylum seekers to come from that country, you're more likely to be detained or, yeah, to be put into detention. Um, Also, occasionally you can be detained because you're, um, application has been re- refused, but you haven't yet been told, and then you can be detained, and so you don't know why. Um, and this happens quite often. And so sometimes when people sign in, just to say yeah, I'm, I'm still here, they can be detained just at that point, which basically means they are taken, essentially arrested. They don't. They're not allowed to go back and go home and take their belongings. They um, they have their phones taken away from them often. They often have to wear particular uniforms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I say that, that is a prison, isn't it? Yeah. And not only that, but it's indefinite detention. So the UK, um, I don't know if some things might have changed. It's about almost a year since I worked directly with refugees in the UK. So things might have changed. But um, up to that point, the UK was the only country in the EU which had indefinite detention of asylum seekers. So that means that they do not know when they're going to be let out, if they're going to be let out, if they're going to be sent back to their own country or or not. And they're not really given much reason for this either. So imagine we don't treat we don't treat criminals like that. Criminals get a a specific sentence. They know when they're going to be let out. Mm -hmm. And yet we're treating asylum seekers who have done no crime worse than we would criminals we've taken away that right um completely um so that's just one area which i think there's just such an underlying racism yeah this where systems have been created to make life scary i mean imagine you know i just can think of so of the asylum seekers that i that i've known who have dreaded signing in absolutely dreaded it because they know what can happen and, and we we suggest to people when you go to sign in, bring some bags with essentials just in case they take you. Um, write down people's phone numbers on a piece of paper and keep it with you just in case they take your phone. And tell people, let people know exactly when you're going to sign in um, so that people will be aware if this, if this happens. And then, yeah, I know people who have just been taken just like that. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but people can be detained 
from their homes as well. So immigration officials will come to people's houses yeah. and just take them. Which, yeah, I, I, it's just, yeah, you talk about human rights, that is not... No. Not, it doesn't matter if they're not citizens of the UK or the US or whatever. Like, it's a human being and we are supposed to be these countries that model the way for human rights. And yeah. we're just not. Nope. No, it's just, I think it's just such double standards of what we yeah. expect for UK citizens and what we let go and sweep under the carpet for people who aren't UK citizens. And I think it's, it's quite, um, yeah, a little bit quite scary when you, when yeah. you really think about it and see what actually happens. And just as you know, there's other things like the way that if, if someone has lost their, their, has been refused their asylum their asylum claim. So basically this is the UK saying, no, no, you can't stay. We're not going to give you refuge. Um, every, almost everyone has the right to appeal and this will mean going to a court. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been to, to some of these court cases, um, which just broke my heart because, again, these extremely vulnerable people being treated like criminals um, and being questioned by someone from the home office um, about minor details um, from their past from their, about their story often which are really really hard for people to prove so as you would in a criminal court people have to kind of prove their innocence or or in this case prove their reason of why they have fled their country mm-hmm. so which is really hard to do. If you're from a country which, say, Syria, which everyone knows is war-torn, then it's a lot, lot easier to say, yeah, I'm from, I'm from this town. They know from the news, from reports of that country, of that town, what has been going on there. Um, you can have quite easy documentation to prove that you are from a particular town, particularly if you're you know, from a certain, certain background where you have... Yeah, you have documentation, you have that kind of thing. Other people, so I know one guy who um, was from Kuwait, I think it was Kuwait, and a lot of Kuwaitis are actually, it's quite a very wealthy country, but there is a people group which are actually, they're kind of stateless. So they live there, but they're not recognized as being citizens. So they don't have any rights to education, to work, to healthcare, to anything. So they are like kind of the lowest of the low, and even though they are, from there they live there you know they have you know it is their home but they're just not recognized as a people group so someone like that that's really difficult because they're not going to have documents because the whole point the whole problem is that they're not recognized so how do you prove when you don't have when you don't have documentation that you are from a certain place and being treated a certain way Mm -hmm. you know it's we, we have very very um western eyes when we look at things and when we look for evidence and then again like one reason why quite a lot of people will claim asylum is because in their country they will be if they're homosexual they will be killed mm-hmm. and this is the case in a lot of countries and again people need to prove come here and prove that they're homosexual and when you've come from a country <laughs> where it's illegal you will do everything you can to hide it. Yeah. So, and so you know, here the kind of the kind of um, proof that they want is like 
like texts or emails between this person and their boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, showing that they have an intimate relationship. So one, that's very invasive. And two, a lot of people won't have that because again, they will try and hide it. And so I've seen, I was in court with a woman who was homosexual and trying to prove it. And it was so horrible to see and just so, so sad because she was obviously struggling hugely um, to, yeah, to show any proof. Yeah. Um, and this is, yeah, this is often the case. And and then again, we, a lot of, and one thing that they ask is a lot of very specific details, which is quite, again, quite a Western thing. So like we will, you know, we know what, where we live. We know our address. Um, we probably remember our last address. Yeah. And we know our birthdays because we celebrate birthdays. But I was in, I was in court with a lady who, I can't remember what country she was from. I think it was um, North Africa, some country in North Africa where they, they don't celebrate birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they asked her details about, you know, when did you do this? When were like, when did you study this thing? And she wasn't hundred percent sure how old she was. And they're like, how can you not know how old you were? And <laughs> she was like, well, we don't, we don't, that's not, we don't celebrate it. We don't like remember it. You know, that's not right. what they, don't do it's not a cultural thing and again they were like really grinding down on her about her trying to get her to remember the address of someone that she stayed with and they were just so focused on this for such a long time so unnecessarily made her just burst into tears which she had to leave for a while um because she was so distressed about it because she just didn't know because in her country they just don't use addresses in the same way, you know, especially from, from a small village where, you know, you, do, you know, you live opposite the, the school or to the right of the, this tree, you know, you don't, it's just different. And so I was, I've just been so shocked at this, the narrow mindedness of how um, people's cases where, you know, that, and it's not just their cases, it's like their lives utterly depend on the right decision being made and so often the right decisions aren't made because because the the, the eyes that have been used to to make decisions are just looking at things so narrowly well, um, it, sounds like, it sounds like there's a complete lack of any sort of education or awareness of the effects yeah. of trauma on people's brains and memories as well because yeah. if you are seeking asylum it's a pretty great chance that you've suffered some serious trauma and you cannot remember details or exact um dates or Mm -hmm. durations or where you were like it's like it's biological that our brains when we are in that in that fight or flight state or freeze fight fight or freeze and Mm -hmm. you're experiencing trauma your brain processes and stores information differently than when you're not and so to expect people one to put our cultural standards on them and then two to have no compassion or awareness of what they've been through and how that could impact their memories as well it's it's astounding yeah Yeah. and the the thing is if when they first come to the UK, they'll have an initial interview, which is pretty short. Um, and then, 
sometimes even it'll be a few weeks or even months later they'll have a, what's called a substantive interview which can take about four to five hours of being questioned um usually in a language which is not your own and and therefore it's interpreted you have they want such intricate details of like you're saying of the trauma that they've gone through if there are any differences between the initial interview and the substantive interview you're quite likely to lose your case but like you were saying the it's so hard to remember trauma and but then when you are being high like pressurized to remember details we know that um you know it's you've got to come up with something uh-huh. yeah that's often a big that can be a big downfall is that you know if just a tiny detail is different it can just wipe someone's case even if they are legitimate asylum seekers um but you know so many of the women have come from trafficking situations have been raped have been assaulted part sometimes just on the journey to the uk yeah um, and sometimes that is the reason for them coming to the uk often it's a bit of a mixture and you know having to even in a, even in an environment where someone is being compassionate when you're in a therapy kind of environment bringing that kind of stuff up is so hard yep but in an environment where your life depends on it where you are faced by someone who think i don't want to like vilify everyone who works for the home office because some of them are great some of them are compassionate some of them are not at all just in the same way as with you know most things you have people who are yeah obviously kind and some people who seem kind of hardened um but a lot of the time they are you know people really struggle with the person who is interviewing them um and so to bring that kind of stuff up by someone who doesn't seem to care um you know i was speaking to a lady once who said that the interviewer just didn't like look at her and i noticed this actually in the court with one lady that the the representative from the home office never once i was in the direct eye eye line, never once looked at the lady who was claiming asylum not not once it was unbelievable it was the most dehumanizing thing ah. uh, unbelievable just sort of just you know rustling papers looking down and looking at the solicitor but never looking at the um yeah the um person so sad but yeah um all that to say is like um just, just again highlighting the different standards um and and the way that we we in the in the west ha- have these assumptions and ways of doing things that if we push on to other people which in itself is a form of of racism because it's kind of basically saying our way of doing things is the, is the best way is the only way and if you don't do it that way essentially you're wrong mm-hmm. and then like and, and then in slightly more kind of, i guess obvious ways i've you know noticed racism within the system so <laughs> when i was working in newport i <laughs> didn't expect it but one of my jobs was finding was was finding dentists for people which sounds ridiculous but it turned out that my my, my job was as a caseworker so basically i would sort out lots of issues yeah. surrounding pretty much anything and everything for asylum seekers and um one of the big big issues was getting health care particularly dentists and there are a shortage of dentists for one but the other thing was that i would speak to the receptionist and i'd often find 
that initially when they you know they'd hear my voice and they'd be quite polite mm-hmm. and then when I say that I was inquiring on behalf of a family from I don't know Afghanistan wherever the the tone would change massively yeah and then when I would then ask if they would be able to provide a phone interpreter so not even an actual in-person interpreter but a phone interpreter it just got very frosty (laughs) even though they had funding for phone interpreters and I was so (laughs) I was I got really quite angry about this because it was such a regular issue that I try you know I kind of tried to to raise it with um the the high up people (laughs) whoever they were um to address it because I thought this is a huge health inequality if someone cannot have an interpreter then they cannot receive health care and people people were told that you have to bring your own interpreter and this was often the case um in other health appointments as well people would try and find someone from their community from people someone else from their country who would be able to interpret for them someone who could speak English but again this is to encourage people to do that is not ethical because so often someone would have to describe really intimate things you know to a doctor or to whoever or really traumatic things um like I know a guy who he was severely tortured Mm -hmm. and had wounds to show for it and had to and had to get like a doctor's report to say as kind of as evidence for his case to say yes this this guy has suffered trauma has suffered torture these are mm-hmm. torture wounds you know imagine having to bring along someone that you don't know or yeah. even if even a family member who you know don't want people don't want necessarily want their family members to know the depth of the trauma that they have experienced understandably so that's pretty unethical in itself so yeah, that was I definitely noticed a lot of what I think was underlying racism in that mm-hmm. sphere, and they're just like stupid little things. Like I remember going to um, a post office with a lady because she was expecting some documents from the Home Office. Um, she was expecting, she was waiting to hear whether she was allowed to stay in the UK or not. So it's huge, and the post office had messed up and the way that they spoke to this lady was disgusting. Um, and it was only when I really, really pushed mm-hmm. um, for them to find this letter, which they had lost, that they actually did something. But they were so rude and so dismissive of this woman. She was from Sudan, so obviously not from the UK, but did have pretty good English, but even so. And I just thought, oh my goodness. I This is how, it was just this tiny little snapshot of what, people who are not from the UK, um, not just refugees and asylum seekers, but anyone who's not from the UK, experience probably every single day mm-hmm. just dismissiveness, rudeness. And it is, it is downright racism. Like, yeah. you know, that's exactly what it is. I'm sure people would say, oh, no, it's not. It's not. I'm just, you know, I don't know what they'd say, but <laughs> it's racism. Yeah. That people, and we'll probably get into this more, but I think that people think of racism as a black or white thing. It's like, it's you either are or you are not. When yeah. in reality, it is a spectrum. We all, I think, as white Westerners have to acknowledge the fact that racism exists in us. Mm-hmm. And just because you, like, we... Uh, and I have, like, I have had to come to terms with this and I still have to address it in myself and ask God to, 
to point it out to me because it's inherent. Like mm-hmm. we are taught in our society that whiteness is what's normal. Whiteness mm-hmm. is like the, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word, but it's even like when we're telling a story and it's, you know, if you talk about a, a man that you encountered in, in the shop, mm-hmm. if he's a white man, you're not going to, you're just going to call him a man. But if mm-hmm. he is a man that is black or Asian or Middle Eastern or whatever, you're probably going to say those qualifiers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is it's in a negative context. Uh-huh. And like you notice that in the news, don't you? Yes. But and like if, if someone's if it's been a robbery or someone's been stabbed or something, the likelihood is if they are um, a migrant or from a particular ethnicity that isn't white or British, it will be very much stated very obviously. Yes. Yeah. So I think yeah, I think we need to get away from the racist or not racist thinking and go, yeah, it's a spectrum. And there are things that I can think and that I can do that are racist. That Mm -hmm. does not make me a racist. That makes me a sinner that needs to be aware of that. And then Mm -hmm. course correct or repent as Christians, we Mm -hmm. repent of that. Yeah. So I think with comments like that, it's like, well, I'm, I'm not racist, but I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you just think that that means you don't ever do anything wrong that brings race into play. Like, I think a lot of it, you know, we've been talking recently kind of about the the roots of of racism, the roots of our opinions about different people groups or whatever. I think one couple of days ago we were talking about, um, I guess, <laughs> patriotism and a kind of superiority complex, essentially, which we often, we have in the West, we just do. The fact that it feels like the West's, one of the West's main priority is to Westernize the rest of the world is, is, just makes it clear. The fact that in Britain, I can't remember, I don't know if I'm mixing up the British and the American taglines i don't know if i should get i don't know if i'm getting a bit political here probably am but um we usually get political but oh well <laughs> but just even you know things that you know people might think oh, i'm just being patriotic like make america great again you know sure that's just about like you know being i don't know wanting your country to be great yes of, like, and, but- then, and in the uk there's a similar feeling of like um with with one of the kind of taglines of Brexit has been, I don't know if, I feel like it's make Britain great again, but I don't know if I'm just like taking up the American one. I can't really remember. But it's it's essentially the same thing. And I'm just like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? What is this, this like Britishness that has somehow been lost and needs to be re-found? And, you know, is, is this Britishness whiteness is that what it actually is because it it seems to go very much alongside having tighter stricter more harsh immigration controls which I'm I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any immigration controls absolutely you know we can't just you know there needs to be wisdom um around that and I do not have the answers but there very much seems to be a correlation between 
Britishness and being British and not letting people into our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and that disturbs me because for so many reasons, one is the, the fact that it is an underlying racist mentality um, because it is saying we are better our culture is better, the way we do things is better. Secondly, it's, I think it's very hardened because, again, it's, it's saying we do not want what you have to offer you from mm-hmm. other countries. We don't have a, we want your skills, we don't want your culture. Although it's actually saying we want the bits that we want, but we don't want the bits that we don't want. We will take, we will take your delicious food. We will take your, um, I don't know what, various bits of your culture, which we, we enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll reject the rest, including you. Um, well, any, and we'll any- take your slave labor from your country mm. that's produced the clothes that we're wearing. And we'll take yeah. that and pay you like four pounds for a top that you made. But yeah, you're not welcome here. You stay there yeah. doing that. Yeah. And we'll eat We'll eat your chocolate. Yeah. Which is like slave labor has, and your coffee. Has, has made. And we'll absolutely love it. And... I was actually thinking about this. <laughs> this is again a bit of a tangent, but I was I was just looking at some um, shower gel yesterday, um, and it just smelled really great. I was like, "Oh, what's on the label?" Um, and it was there were two. There was one that was tea tree, and it was like made with um, tea tree from the um, the foot of the Ethiopian Ethiopian something, and then there was the honey a, a honey one which was like made with honey which was you know from bees from the kenyan something and it sounded so like exotic and like yeah mm. and i just think it's so funny how we in certain certain circumstances like that so it's when it's a product like in this case shower gel or coffee we make it we romanticize a place so for example ethiopia like you know from the luscious land of blah 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 and then when it comes to, so that's from something that we want, when it comes to, to people or, or aspects of people's culture, from the same place, we just put a completely different spin mm-hmm. um, on, that, on that place. And it's just, yeah, that, just, reading, just reading those labels kind of, it can make me laugh in a, in in a, a bad way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh dear but we were also talking weren't we about um with racism how another underlying thing is also threat and what our cultures perceive the threat to be um so you said something interesting to me about racism in the u.s do you want to share that yeah that on during times in america when unemployment rates are higher attitudes towards immigrants and refugees gets worse like it's more negative and then in in times when unemployment rates are lower we're more open to refugees and just like other races in general but i found it so interesting because it it speaks to the fear that we i think a lot of this is based in fear as white westerners we want to stay in power, white supremacy benefits us. And Mm. so when we see, oh, unemployment rates are climbing, 
we automatically want to say, well, that's all these immigrants or refugees taking our jobs. And so we can't have them here stealing our work. But then when we feel a bit more secure and unemployment rates are more stable and they're lower, then we're more open to it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's this scarcity and it's this fear of having our resources. This is, you know, resources and economics, but also just our power taken away mm -hmm. from us. And we are going to look outside of other people who look like us. We're not yeah. going to take the people that look like us and blame them. It's going to be the outsider because we want yeah. to other them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for us as Christians to look at this, not in a white nationalist way, but as what we are called to in the Bible and what specifically how Jesus showed us to treat others. And it's that we don't have to fear because he takes care of us. Like God cares for us. Mm -hmm. What are, it's the verse. I for, always forget where the verses are. I think it's somewhere in Matthew where it's like, look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and how God cares for them. Like how mm -hmm. much more for you as his child, does he care for you? Yeah. I love, I love those verses. Like we are to depend on God and obviously we, we need to be wise with our resources and, and save money. And you know, that I'm, I'm operating as if those are, uh, that's a given <laughs> when I'm speaking, but like we are called to share, we are called to like, God blesses us with things and they are indeed blessings from God none of what we have is actually ours. Mm -hmm. And so he asks us to share it with others and we don't have to operate out of this scarcity or this fear of having our resources taken. It's no, look at, look at all of the great things about our nation. Look mm -hmm. at the employment laws that we have and the healthcare and the infrastructure that we have. And don't we want to share that with others? Yeah. You brought up, such a good point, Lizzie, too. It's like we want to pick and choose the pieces that we like from the cultures. And and we, <laughs> cultural appropriation is just such a problem. Like we want your music, we want your fashion, we want your food, but like we don't want you. And like we can look at it as two sides of the coin, I think. It's Look what we can offer you in our country, and we have plenty to go around. But then also, we're enriched by it. It's not just us giving. It's what we gain as well by being more diverse. And mm -hmm. if we're speaking about America, I know it's different in the UK, but in America, like uh, the entire country was built by immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Native Americans, like I'm not counting, but like, obviously the Native Americans were here first and it's their land that we stole, but is that too political? But <laughs> um, like if it weren't for immigration, we would not have a nation of people and we are all like, we all came from somewhere else. I am white. My entire family is white, but we came from the UK. You know, I just, so yeah. it, it baffles me why people can be so against it when yeah. it's what our nation was built on. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, <laughs> if you look at the UK, the National Health System is, National Health Service is one of the biggest employers in the UK, if not the biggest one. And a lot of the people in the NHS are from other countries, like a huge amount of the, the workforce. The NHS, which as most of the UK is very, like, very proud of the NHS, big time, uh, particularly um, with the coronavirus. Um, yeah, the NHS would absolutely crumble if it wasn't for for employees from other countries, like, completely crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's, it's a strange thing how, for some reason, immigration generally is often painted as a negative thing. But like we were saying, the, the richness that can come, but even to like um to the very much to the economy as well mm-hmm. um the skills that people can bring and i think while like last year i did a little talk somewhere about um the fact that asylum seekers when they first come to, when they come to the uk most of them aren't allowed to work which doesn't make sense because so because in terms of for so many reasons it it would make sense for them to be able to work. They wouldn't then have to get support from, from the government. Uh-huh. Um, it's a lot better for mental health. And then even if we just look at it, at it from a, a monetary point of view, um, I think it would add, I think, like 40 million to the UK economy. Like It's like a pretty good chunk of money which would it would benefit the UK economy, uh-huh. economically. And... Again, that's that's just the silent seekers who aren't working. But it's like, let's just let's look at people who are coming, who are often so willing to work hard. Often, like I feel like in the UK, our work work ethic is pretty poor in comparison to a lot of cultures. Um, that's pretty um, generalised, but from what I've seen, it often is. If people who are so willing to work, who really really want to provide for themselves who want to learn new skills who often have really good skills themselves you know um, there's this sort of mentality that asylum seekers and refugees have nothing to give and um but a, a, a lot a large quite a large chunk that i've known have been highly skilled um and had really high up positions in jobs and really want to use their skills in this country um, and even the ones that haven't got a high up, haven't had, you know, high up jobs or any job or any education have so much that they would love to give. Um, I know a lady who's from Uganda. She'd been seeking asylum for years and years and years and was just constantly having her claim rejected. And she was des- like she loved cooking and she was desperate to 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 set up a, a business but she wasn't able to because the, the system meant that she wasn't allowed to earn any money and it would have been so such a valuable wonderful thing for her to do yeah and and I was I think I told you the other day there's quite a few people who come particularly the women who haven't had any education at all often because of their um in in their culture maybe women aren't educated or maybe they're from quite a poor background whatever it might be they come to the UK and they have this opportunity to to learn um so I worked for an organization we did English classes and I'd often help people to get into college as well and Mm -hmm. because the college provided some free courses which are really great and these women who'd never set foot in a school before 
were becoming really good at English within a few months because they were so, so eager to learn and mm -hmm. so eager to give. Um, and I just think we are missing a trick if we do not see the incredible value um, in in people who are coming over to our countries. It's like, let, if we just change our perspective, instead of seeing people as a burden, we're seeing them as, seeing them as an asset in so many different ways. I really think that could, that's, that could change attitudes, could change societies, could bring so much like cohesion. Mm -hmm. um, economically, it would be better. Culturally, it would be better, um, but it just needs that that critical shift. Yeah, um, yeah. There's also the piece. Who gave the sermon on refugees? Was it Simon or Ben? I can't remember. Simon. Simon. He talked about how you know we as Christians are given um, the Great Commission and called to make disciples of all nations. Mm. Well. The great thing about the world that we live in and the immigration that happens and refugees coming to countries like the UK or the US is like, I don't have to travel to Syria or to Afghanistan or to Uganda to make disciples of those nations. They are coming here and we have a really great opportunity to make disciples of all nations right in your own home, like in your country by befriending refugees and just loving them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should be like laughing at us. I mean, saving us a lot of hassle. Right? Uh, I was like, yeah, don't go to Syria. Just go to the local car wash where Syrians work, you know. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, I think... When we look at the Bible, we look at the way that, like you're saying, is Jesus told us to to not worry, to welcome the stranger, to mm -hmm. everything. But you just the the such a theme in the Bible of of the nations, like such a beautiful heavenly picture of the nations, and like all nations coming to bow at the feet of Jesus, and the unity of the body of Christ, and just so many beautiful, beautiful images of how. In, yeah, in Christ, we are, we are one. It doesn't matter what culture, what nation, ethnicity, whatever it might be. And I think as Christians, well, a lot of Christians, we have, you know, even me, you know, have bought into, when I say even me, that's not really up myself, you know what I mean? But just like you were saying earlier, we all have, we are all affected by our culture and like mm -hmm. the way we, you know, we judge other cultures and blah, 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 blah. But as Christians, I think we've bought too much into the, to our cultures, basically. Yeah. And but when we look at the heavenly culture, it's just such a beautiful, diverse, inclusive thing. You think, well, if we actually thought, if we really had that heavenly mindset, how would that change the way we do things, the way we think, and the way we are towards our brothers and sisters um, from other countries? I think it would be transformative. And we just have to look at it and like, we know we are all made, every human on this earth is made in the image of God and mm -hmm. God doesn't make mistakes mm -hmm. and we all look different for a reason. Like God yeah. could have made us all white or could have made us all 
black or it could have made us all Middle Eastern. Like he could have done that and he didn't. We are Mm -hmm. all this range of ethnicities and skin colors and languages and cultures Mm -hmm. for a reason. And I'll share the illustration I used in our family service when we Mm -hmm. talked about racism, but like it takes each one of those different colors to fully image God. Like yeah. if you're all made in his image, you need all of the pieces to fully mm-hmm. image who he is. Mm-hmm. And so in family service, this is like one of my favorite activities I think we've ever done in Hope Kids, but I um, found a puzzle, just like a blank puzzle that you could color on and then put it together. So each kid got a piece, just a little puzzle piece. And we said, color whatever you want on this puzzle piece. So it goes from, it's just like a wooden, plain wooden colored puzzle and color whatever you want. And they, some use stickers and some use markers and some use pens and they used all different colors and drew different things. And then they each brought up their piece and we put the puzzle together. And the illustration that I use is like, look at this puzzle now. It's so colorful. It's so vibrant. Isn't this puzzle, the way it looks now, so much more beautiful than it was before? And all the kids were like, yeah, of course, of course. And like, they loved seeing their puzzle piece in the larger puzzle. They loved Mm -hmm. to see that. And it's just, it's, I think it's just such a great illustration of like, aren't we as a world and as a people and as the church so Mm -hmm. much more beautiful and vibrant when we bring all of those different pieces together? Like how boring would it be if we were all one color? I I mean, or came from one culture. Also, I looked up this quote because you were saying something or when we were talking about the spectrum of racism earlier, I just want to share this. So I read a book by Austin Channing Brown earlier this year, and it's amazing. It's called I'm Still Here. I think everyone should read it. She is a Christian too, so it kind of comes from that perspective. But this spoke to me and has made me think a lot. So she writes... When you believe niceness disproves the presence of racism, it's easy to start believing bigotry is rare and that the label racist should be applied only to mean-spirited, intentional acts of discrimination. The problem with this framework, besides being a gross misunderstanding of how racism operates in systems and structures enabled by nice people, is that it obligates me to be nice in return rather than truthful. I, and she's writing this as a black woman. So she says, I am expected to come closer to the racist, be nicer to them, coddle them. And I just think like you were talking about in Britain, how it's, it's like this very polite, nice culture. And in America, it's the same thing. Like we put such value on niceness and we think, well, if I'm a nice person, I can't be a racist. We're all just supposed to be nice to each other. And in reality, niceness or politeness can hide a multitude of sin. Yeah. Um, That's really, that's really good. I'd like to see that written down. I think I feel, I feel challenged kind of talking about that niceness thing. It's funny talking about all this because obviously I've worked with refugees, but in terms of racism, 
<laughs> I've never, you know, as a, as a white person, I have never, ever experienced racism. I've been in other countries um, where I've been the minority, um, but that's never been in a negative way. I've stood out in a way that people have been extra nice to me or just stared at me, but not in a nasty way. Yeah. So I, I very much feel as we talk about this, like uh, talking from a someone who doesn't really know or understand. I don't understand what it feels like. And I, I feel challenged to like to listen to the to this to people, particularly in this in the what we would see as like the hidden racism in that's hidden behind the niceness because the news often talks about maybe like big racist acts or, or whatever it might be. But actually what is it that in, in the small things that if people who would consider themselves nice and not racist, what do we do that actually just in the way we act, the things that we say puts barriers up or just says we are better than you, whatever it might be. I would, I want to, I feel challenged to kind of, look actually to investigate more what that what that looks like I think also I feel it's really hard to get something that's British we don't like challenging things as well like so for example um I think you've noticed this Jesse like if if we're at a restaurant and we get you know get a meal (laughs) and it's disgusting or just not that great this is what happens so much then you start eating like, and you're like, oh, this isn't very nice or whatever. And the waiter will come around and be like, hey, is everything all right? And we'll be like, yeah, it's lovely. Thank you. Because we just don't want to cause a fuss. We don't want to complain. It's, it's almost like, yeah, we just, it just makes us so deeply uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we would rather have a horrible meal um, than... <laughs> it's ridiculous it baffles um, me it just baffles me. <laughs> we're talking about this about hairdressers weren't we how like yeah. you know we can just sit in the, the, the hairdressers and have our hair cut just like watching our, our like hairstyle be completely <laughs> like destroyed <laughs> before our eyes and just um absolutely hate it and the hairdresser would be like so but what do you think You'd be like yeah it's great i love it thank you <laughs> which like brady goes brady said something like oh it's just hilarious she was like i didn't even know that this was what i wanted until i just saw it on my head <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I think that's a, cult- a real cultural thing, and I think it is a, a kind of a problem. I know some people from other cultures have said it feels like British people are really kind of dishonest, and I think, well, yeah, in some ways, absolutely. Um, but I think it's also one of the things that if you're in the culture and you know the culture, then you're you you are aware of when. If someone says in the UK, if you say, oh, it's not bad, it generally means it's actually really good. <laughs> but if you're, if you're from the culture, you know that that's what that's, that's you, that, you know that that is what's meant. Um, but all that to say, I think it's very hard to challenge what is subtle. And so um, if, if someone 
it's, it's easier to challenge what is outright and obviously racist, but it's very hard to challenge the kind of insidious, often things which are said, well, the words that are said are okay, but the tone in which they're said are not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard to challenge that because people can defend that and say, oh, I didn't say, I'm not racist. I didn't say anything wrong. And so, well, actually the tone indicated that you didn't like that person. Mm, yeah. And I think that's something that we need to check ourselves on. But I think we need to, we don't, you know, we want to pick our battles, but I, I think we look often look at those kind of comments and things that people say and we think, oh, that's not a battle worth picking because it's so subtle. It's, you know, whatever. But I'm thinking, actually, it is a, it really is a battle worth picking. And we don't want to make, sometimes we can't get it wrong, so we need to be humble. Um, we don't want to just assume that someone is being racist. Maybe maybe they just got the tone wrong or whatever it might be, I don't know. But let us challenge, because even if it is a really small, subtle thing, a lot of small, subtle things actually indicate um, an attitude which then can be shared, which, which are kind of like insidiously kind of, is that toxic kind of thing that infects other people that it then becomes acceptable to make snide comments, to speak about that family that from another country with a slight, you know, you know, whatever it might be. We just stamp that out and we just stamp it out lovingly and like challenge people graciously, but it is an ugly thing that needs stamping out. Mm -hmm. But starting with looking out at our own hearts and what we say and what we do yeah and I guess yeah we should I I guess there could be people that listen to this that don't know either of us but we are two white women (laughs) so we have never experienced what it's like to be a refugee and we've never experienced what it's like experienced racism firsthand so we speak from that position and I just think it's worth stating like neither of us think we have it all figured out we may have gotten a lot wrong when we're talking but yeah just give us grace yes (laughs) and we are very open to loving correction as well like Mm -hmm. that's all a part of the learning process and that and that's I think a big piece of it is letting go of our own egos and saying, yeah. oh, I, I don't know everything and being open to people correcting. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if you do have any comments or questions or constructive criticism <laughs> or whatever it might be, then please do send it our way. Yeah. Um, yeah like Jesse said, we are definitely not experts. Um, definitely not experts by experience <laughs> um, specifically. And um, I think we cannot, as people who haven't experienced those things, we cannot speak on behalf of, I, I don't feel like we can speak on behalf of people who've experienced things that we haven't experienced. We can just put our perspective of, you know, what we have seen and what, what, we, what we believe the, um, by the, the Bible, what Jesus says about it all. But um yeah. yeah, we cannot yeah. pretend to know what it's actually like. Yeah. Right, Jesse, we've been talking for a long old time. We've, we did it. <laughs> we did. I don't think there's going to be a part three. No, no. 